Boldness doesn't just mean brash. It doesn't just mean you speak. It means you go to hard places. You make bold moves and bold decisions with your life and with your money and with your time to go to places that other people are unwilling to go to. To be bold means that we go to people who are the farthest away from God, believing that God can even grant a listening ear to those people. They will listen. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us. Well, today we begin a new series on Resonate called Be Bold. And in the weeks ahead, Pastor Trent will teach from God's Word on how believers can face controversial topics like creation versus evolution, abortion, sexuality, and the afterlife. So if you're ready to learn how to confront the culture with biblical boldness, grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 28 as we jump into the first message in the series, Be Bold. Here's Pastor Trent. Be bold. That's exactly what we're going after. So at Harvest Bible Chapel, we have four pillars. Do you know them? Do you know them? If there was a test and you're a member you would have to pass the test, okay? So the four pillars, they're out on our walls, they're on the back of our bulletin, we put them on everything, but guess which one of the pillars we're gonna emphasize as our ministry theme this year? It's pillar number four, which says this, sharing the good news of Jesus with what? Boldness. Sharing the good news of Jesus is not the pillar. The pillar is sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. We are going to get bold about standing up and standing out and standing firm on what we believe is the only solution to the problems that we see in this world. And you may say, well, Trent, aren't you, don't you know you could like get arrested nowadays for like being a bold Christian? Wouldn't it be better if we just kind of, maybe we could launch a, a ministry theme. I mean, maybe maybe a better theme would be, be cautious. <laughs> How about, be safe. Be careful. No, that's not going to work around here. Now, if you if, if you're if you're into be safe and be careful, there are churches that we can find you a place. Okay, around here we're about being bold because that is what is required of Christians when times are the hardest. When times are the hardest, Christians must be the boldest. So let's talk about boldness here. Let's give it a definition. Boldness can be defined in one dictionary I saw as a trait of being willing to undertake things that involve risk or danger or the quality of standing out strongly and distinctly. Now, there was a time in our nation's history that if you wanted to be bold, you would announce you're not a Christian. I'm going to rebel against all things God, and you would have been considered bold. But now the culture has shifted. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. And I want you to see it from the Scripture. Why do we say that boldness is required of every Christian in the hardest times. And we're going to look at it here from the last paragraph of the book of Acts. Now, hopefully you've got your Bible open there to Acts chapter 28. Let me just set it up before we dive into it for a few minutes. Let's let's figure out where we are in the narrative of Scripture, okay? The Bible only has one story. 
And when we open up to the book of Acts, first of all, isn't Acts a weird name for a book? It seems a little incomplete. The Acts of who? The Acts of what? There have been a lot of different suggestions about how you might want to title that. Some people would say, well, it's the Acts of the Apostles because this is the birth record of the church. If you, you talk about a ministry year kickoff, uh, that was the book of Acts. This was the launch of the whole thing. It, and so in one sense, you could say it's the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Disciples, the Acts of the Church. People that are really Christ-centered, they would say it this way. It's the Acts of Jesus, right? It's the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles. And, and there's merit in all of those things. The book of Acts picks up where the Gospels leave off. There are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the biographies of Jesus. So it's people writing about the, the words and the actions of Jesus. But at the end of each of those four biographies, we know what happens. Jesus is crucified, he is buried, he is risen. We get to the book of Acts and we find out that after he is risen, he has one final staff meeting with his, his team, and then he ascends back to his father, and so now what? That's where the book of Acts starts. I would like to suggest an alternate title for the book of Acts. I think it's Acts of Boldness. When you read what the disciples did in obedience to Jesus, it is a record of unapologetic sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. That's the plot of Acts. So... We get to the very last chapter. We're going, to, we're going to see the beginning from the end here this morning. We get to the last chapter. There's a particular guy in the book of Acts that starts out at the beginning of the book of Acts as a natural-born killer of Christians. You talk about a guy that was bold. This guy was so bold that if he found a Christian and if the Christian was bold enough to speak the gospel, he would drag him out, beat him up, and kill him. His name was Saul... One day, Jesus had a little meeting with Saul and said, I do not appreciate you doing this. Why are you persecuting me? Interesting, right? He didn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? He said, why are you persecuting me? I'm taking personally what you're doing to my people, and I'm going to do something about it. And so he slaps him with blindness. Now try to be bold as a blind person. Now, this guy gets the message of the gospel. He's radically transformed, and he becomes one of the Christians. And then he becomes a wonderful theologian. He becomes the, most, uh, the, the boldest evangelist, the boldest preacher, and gets committed to getting the gospel to the hard places. He becomes a church planter. He has such a radical change, Jesus changes his name. He changes his name to Paul. There is a particular destination that Paul is trying to get to in the later parts of the book of Acts. He wants to get to Rome because he knows that the, if the gospel could get to, to, to a very prominent place like Rome, that it could be disseminated throughout the world. So he's struggling. He's trying to get to, to Rome. And he's praying, God, let me go to Rome. And he feels like God's calling him to Rome. So he begins his journey to Rome. In the process, he's arrested. Why, why was he arrested? Because he was bold about the gospel. Now, if you're committed to getting the gospel out, you love Jesus with all your heart, you're trying to do a big thing for him, and then God allows you to get arrested, 
what would you do? This is what most of us would do. We'd stick our thumb in our mouth and we'd start sucking it real hard. We'd start kicking rocks and we'd start griping to God. God, here I am trying to be bold and look what you allow. Where's the religious freedom? Maybe I could sue these people. Maybe I could take a case to the Supreme Court. Where's the political act? God, why don't you change this situation? Well, even though Paul was shackled, he continued to be bold. They put him over under house arrest, and they realize he actually is a Roman citizen. And so they put him on a boat to send him back to his place of origin in, in Rome. They're like, great, this is awesome. This is God's plan for me to get back to, to the city of Rome. And so they put him on a boat. Guess what happens to the boat? It sinks. There's a storm. They start bailing water. But Paul is shipwrecked. Now, if you'd been arrested and shackled, and then the boat that they put you on was shipwrecked while you're attempting just to fulfill the fourth pillar of your church and be bold, what would you have done? Like, oh, God, you couldn't prevent the storm. I guess you're not powerful enough. I guess I'm just going to sink here in the middle of the ocean. That's what most of us would do. Not Paul. He swam to shore, and uh, the people were gathered around him. They're, they're terrified. They're horrified. They just almost lost their lives because their, their boat had been shipwrecked. And so they gather around a fire to kind of dry out. And while, while they're gathering around the, the fire drying out, do you know what happens? Paul gets snake bit. If you were shackled and then shipwrecked and then snake bit in your attempt to just simply obey God, to get the gospel to a hard place, what would you do? It's like, I'm just going to die right here. God, just kill me. God, I'm trying to obey. Just kill me. Take me to heaven where there are no snakes and there are no shipwrecks and there are no shackles. I just guess I'll be a martyr for you. Poor, pitiful me. Is that what Paul did? No. He shook the snake off, he got on another boat, and he went to Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome, and uh, apparently has a little bit of freedom there. And the religious people around him find out that this theologian is in town, and they start coming to him. That's where we pick up the story in the last paragraph of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Let's begin reading in verse 23. If you're there, say, I'm bold. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Just underline the word numbers there. I underline that in my Bible. Some people get really nervous when you start talking about numbers in church. Like some of you got a little nervous when you put the numbers and the giving and the attendance. And It's like you're always just focused on numbers. You're only focused on numbers. Listen, do you know how much the Bible talks about numbers? Somebody counted the people that were coming to Paul and realized there's more people coming today than there came yesterday. And we're responsible for the numbers. Listen, we're not just about the numbers, but every number represents a name. And every name represents a story. And every story represents a soul. And every soul represents an image of God that is designed to give God glory. And that's what was happening here. There were greater numbers coming to learn, to sit at the feet of Paul and to understand the gospel. He says, from morning until evening, he expounded to them and testified to the kingdom of God. You think I preach long messages. From morning until evening, he never ran out of material. 
He had so much to expound. He knew the Bible so well. He understood the story that God had put together that redeemed people. So from morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God. And notice this, trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. To be bold doesn't just mean you hand out some information. It doesn't just mean you look across the table with somebody and share your testimony. I'm just so grateful for what God's done in my life and, and Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sin and I'm just so happy. It doesn't stop there. To be bold means you look that person right in the eye and you say, has anything like that ever happened to you? And then you try to convince them that what has happened to you needs to happen to them. Paul was bold. He was trying to convince them. That doesn't mean you can manufacture someone's salvation. It doesn't mean you can manipulate someone into making a decision that they don't want to make. But it does mean that you confront them with the reality of sin, judgment, hell, and the cross. We are bold about all aspects of what it takes for a person to be born again spiritually. Paul was trying to convince them, and notice how he was, what tool was he using to try to convince them? Did he draw a little picture? Did he, um, did he do a little drama? Did he make a movie? What did he use to convince them? It tells us, from the law and the prophets. Now, that's code language for the Old Testament. The first five books of the, the Old Testament were written by Moses and referred to as the law. So he opened up his Bible from Genesis or Numbers. Do you know there's a book in the Bible called Numbers? And he began to connect the dots between what God had said centuries before to what had just happened in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming and the prophets who prophesied that Jesus was coming. He began to connect those dots. He used his Bible to try to convince them. Not a warm, fuzzy story. So we've got to know the scripture to be bold about what's in the word. Look at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said and others disbelieved. Mark it down. You are not going to bat a thousand. Being bold is the goal, keeping track of how people respond to your boldness is not your business. It is God's business how people react to the bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you are concerned about being well-liked and popular, you'll never be bold. But if you are trying to convince people, believing that it is only God who can convert a human soul, it is only God that can grant faith and repentance. It is only God that can regenerate a dead heart. Then you can be bold in every setting because you realize that a person's conversion, a person's belief is not in any way dependent upon your ability to articulate the gospel. If I thought that your response to the gospel was dependent upon my ability to communicate to you, I would commit suicide. Because every week I got to stand up here and try to, uh, try to do my best to try to, to, to get you to believe something you don't want to believe. What gives me freedom, the reason I can sleep on Saturday night 
is because I realize that my feeble attempt to share the good news with you is not an obstacle to you believing it. It is only God that can grant faith to respond in repentance to what the gospel actually is. So he goes on. This is great. Look at verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves. <laughs> Isn't that great? The people who were convinced and the people who disagreed agreed to disagree. And so they went on their way, disagreeing among themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. Stop. Is that not a great setup for what's coming next? Aren't you curious about what is the one statement that made these people get up and walk out? I often wonder, how many people are going to get up and walk out after I make this next statement? Dirty, rotten sinner. Anybody want to leave now? Anybody want to leave? All right. Well, this is, what, this is what Paul does. Paul knew his Bible so well, and he realized that their response had already been prophesied. Back in the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, Paul knew those verses, and he quoted them to him. And so they get up and they walk out. They departed after Paul made one statement. Here's the statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You know what Paul was saying? God told me about you people. You people that have all the information you need to be saved, and yet you won't believe it. Bold? Yeah, he was bold. And he, he identifies four things that have to happen in order for a person to respond positively to the gospel. Do you see them? It says they have to see, they have to hear, they have to understand, and they have to turn. Did you see it there? So if in order for a person to become a Christian, you have to see it, hear it, understand it, and turn to it, what's our responsibility as the church if we're going to fulfill our responsibility to share the gospel with boldness? If people need to see it, see it then what do we have to do? We have to show it to them. They mean, that means that they have to observe in our lives a discernible difference that it's not just on our lips, but it's in our life. That the gospel that we are proclaiming to them has brought change to us. They have to see it. They have to see it. They also have to hear it. It's not enough just to live a good life and try to be like Jesus and be a good example. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That's a bad statement. It really is. You should preach the gospel through your life, but the gospel is intrinsically tied to words about Jesus, words about the cross, words about sin, words about forgiveness, words about the cross. You have to use your mouth if you're going to be bold as a Christian. And so they have to see it. We have to do what? Let's try that again. They have to see it. We have to do what? We have to show it. They have to hear it. We have to, we have to say it. They have to understand it. We have to explain it. 
We've got to know the gospel and know the scriptures and be able to talk to somebody about their objections. We know that what we believe is unbelievable without the quickening power of the Holy Spirit granting faith to a hard-hearted, knuckle-headed believer like you and I used to, unbeliever like you and I used to be. So we have to, we have to show it. We have to say it. We have to explain it. And if the last thing they have to do is turn, what do we have to do? Point. We have to point them to the cross. It's not in a church. It's not in a religious system. It is not in your church attendance. It is not in your good behavior. We have to point them away from religion, and we have to point them to the cross, boldly, unapologetically showing them that there is a Savior, one Savior that God sent to be um, the only way to be reconciled to God. But he says, you guys have all the information You won't see it. You've chosen not to hear it. For some reason, you can't understand it, and you won't turn to it. So then in verse 28, he says this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles, by the way, that's not a compliment. If somebody calls you a Gentile in the Bible... That's not a compliment, all right? The, the, the Gentiles referred to in the Bible, they were the people the farthest away from God. They didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. They usually worshiped false idols. They had false religious systems. They worshiped something because the human heart's designed to worship, but they didn't worship the true and living God because they didn't have the revelation of God uh, through the written word of God. And so Paul says, I am turning my attention to the people who are farthest away from God. Who are the people in your circle of influence who are the farthest away from God? Those are the people that you have to be the most bold with. Boldness doesn't just mean brash. It doesn't just mean you speak. It means you go to hard places. You make bold moves and bold decisions with your life and with your money and with your time to go to places that other people are unwilling to go to. To be bold means that we go to people who are the farthest away from God, believing that God can even grant a listening ear to those people. They will listen. And then finally here in verse 30, it says this. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Interesting, to be bold means that it's going to cost you. It may cost you time. It may cost you money. It certainly cost Paul money. He lived there at his own expense. Notice this. And welcomed all who came to him. All of them, no matter how far from God they were, no matter what they smelled like, no matter what they looked like, no matter how bad their track record was, he welcomed all who came to him. Sometimes people ask me, they say, man, Trent, your church has really grown fast, and it's like you're having trouble like putting people in places and stuff. Like, how big are, I mean, how big are you going to grow your church? And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't get to decide that. It's God that gets the growth. I'm trying to offend people as quickly as possible. I need seats, right? So, no, I'm not really trying to do that. Uh, Only offend people with the gospel, right? Um, We don't want to offend you in any other way. If you're offended by the gospel, then um, we can live with that because we're bold. So people say, well, you know, how big are you going to grow your church before you just say that that's big that's big enough i'm like what do you want me to do you want to put a no vacancy sign outside it's like you are not welcome anymore at heart we don't have room for you is that what we're supposed to do 
Listen, it's God that gives the growth. It's our responsibility just to be responsible stewards with the people that God's given us. And that's why our small group ministry is so important. How do you, create, how do you keep a large church small? By putting people in circles, in small groups, in training and raising up little micro-pastors, our small group leaders around the church. We're giving our lives to that. And so we want to create disciples, and we want to welcome all who will come. Verse 31. Here it is, the final verse of the entire book of Acts. One of the longest books in the New Testament, 28 chapters. He comes to the final verse. Here it is. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all what? Boldness and without hindrance. Now, that's the last verse of this massive history book. But don't you think that's an odd ending? I mean, what happened to Paul? What happened to all the different churches? Where did it go from there? Right? I think that the book of Acts really should end with an ellipsis. Because we now know as we glance back in the rearview mirror what actually happened. There were churches planted all over the place. Those churches eventually planted churches that ended up in Europe. And after centuries and after even some really bad theology in the church, God quickened and brought a great reformation in the 15th century where gospel-centeredness came back to reality and the cross once again became a point where people had to come for salvation. And the doctrine of justification was renewed and that was more church planting and more missionaries. It eventually made its way to the Western Hemisphere, and there were churches that were planted, and the First Great Awakening, and the Second Great Awakening, and through a couple of hundred years, and then into the 1900s and the 20th century, and then in 1988, there was a church planted in the northwest suburbs of Chicago that 10 years into their existence made a decision, we need to plant some churches, and the 37th church out of that church that was planted was Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, and now here we are in Acts chapter 29. And what are we going to do? We're going to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all what? Boldness. Ellipsis, ellipsis, ellipsis. And there's going to be people come after us, but we're going to gaze out the front windshield. In today's message, Pastor Trent defined boldness as the quality of standing out strongly and distinctly. In our culture today, it can seem as if boldness has gone to a new level of extreme godlessness. So how should believers respond to the world's boldness? We've been encouraged by Pastor Trent to be bold with the gospel, trusting that God will grant our hearers faith to turn from their sin in repentance. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and you've been listening to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. And I hope you'll join us at this same time next week for the second half of the message, Be Bold. Well, we'd love to invite you to join us at one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana, not too far from University Park Mall. 
And here's one last piece of exciting news for our listeners in Berrien County, Michigan. Harvest Bible Chapel Granger is planting an extension campus near you. We invite you to join us for an informational meeting on Sunday, June 26th from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Benton Harbor St. Joe YMCA. We'd love to have the opportunity to share our vision for what we believe God will do in Berrien County. You can find details on our website, harvestgranger.org. Well, thanks again for being with us today. And my prayer is that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.